Hello, and thank you for joining the North Point Church Lutes podcast. We're excited that you found us, and we pray that you'll come back often and listen again and again. Each week, we upload the content preached in one of the North Point Church services here in Lutz, and we pray that you'll come back and listen and marinate on what it is that God was teaching us. The more that these messages get into your heart, the more that you have the opportunity to be obedient and allow them to change your life. We believe that God is real and His Word is true, and that has the power to change your life. So let's lean in together and see what it is that God has in store for you today. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Someone said to me this morning, Pastor Josh, you got pants on, so you must be preaching. Because I usually wear shorts. I think my father-in-law just laughed. Don't laugh back there. It's not cool. Uh, before we get uh, rolled on, I just want to say a quick prayer for our, uh, the orphanage down in the D, uh, Dominican Republic and uh, Pastor Lucian's orphanage in Haiti. As you know, that Hurricane Elsa is coming by them. Uh, I checked in with James last night. In the Dominican, everything's fine. I haven't heard from Pastor Lucian just yet. Not a huge hurricane, but uh, any time that dumps all that water from the mountains, it can be a problem. So if you don't mind, let's uh, pray to, uh, together for them. Uh, God, we just lift up uh, Pastor Lucian and James and uh, the Calibri House and, um, and uh, Ambassadors of Jesus and also for uh, Mike Clark and uh, Advocates of Love. God, we just, we love them. And, you know... We get upset. I got upset yesterday when the power went off for like four minutes. Um, so I, I just I, I pray, you know, they. Uh, I just I pray you're close to them. I pray I pray that you're protecting them. And uh, God, I know you are, and I know you're there. But uh, as a church body, we just want to pray for our brothers and sisters down there. Uh, we pray for safety, pray for love, and we pray for uh, them to get things back together uh, quickly. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, happy Fourth of July, right? Uh, I'm glad, glad to be back in town. Uh, our family was in Tennessee uh, or northern Georgia, right on the, the border uh, last week. It was a quick three-night mountain vacation uh, that my wife surprised me with uh, for Father's Day. Um, for Mother's Day, I bought her a remote. <laughs> it was only $10, but it opens the front gates, and now she doesn't get rained on when she plugs in the code, right? So I say, I say it's about even. Anyway, uh, one of the uh, highlights of the trip is that we got to go whitewater rafting in the Okoe River, which has like class three and four uh, rapids. And I, I was uh, excited for the adventure. And if you've ever been whitewater rafting, then you'll know that the guide that you have on your raft kind of sets the whole trip for you, right? He kind of makes it or breaks it. You have a good guide, you have a great trip. Well, we had a great guide. His name was Tristan. Is there a photo? Oh, there is a photo already. Look at Tristan, all high and mighty in the back of the boat. Cool as a cucumber. Um, yeah, anyway, that's Tristan. He was a good guy. He was a, a funny guy, told lots of stories. I don't think he uh, shut up, actually, the entire uh, hour and a half. Uh, but funny guy. And I want to share uh, a story uh, that he told us about his worst trip ever, his words, his worst trip ever. He said it started out with a 500-pound-plus dude in the boat. Now, before you go, oh, you're going to make fun of fat people? No, okay? I, I'm a fat guy, okay? But it's not, it's not this guy's weight that was the issue. It was that he was on a boat with a bunch of small, tiny people, right? And so when you got one guy weighs 500 and the other six or seven weigh 500, it's really hard to place this guy in the boat. Tristan said it was impossible to steer the boat because of this guy's uh, weight. 
So he said, if you can't steer the boat, then you're going to hit every bad rock that you don't want to hit. And that's exactly what they did. And somebody fell in the water, and when you guess it, it was the big dude, right? So now you've got a 500-plus-pound man, and in Tristan's words, he's hitting every rock in the river. He's also 62 years old, so he, he may not be as, as strong as, as somebody younger to get back to the boat quickly. Um, Tristan thought this was the end of his uh, rafting career. Just started. He's like, this guy's dead. There's no way uh, that I'm going to be rafting anymore. Anyway, made it to the guy. And the proper way to pull somebody in a boat is you grab the top of the uh, life vest, the straps, right? You grab the top of it, and you kind of use your weight and pull back and kind of let them fall on top of you. Well, he knew that wasn't going to happen, so he actually did a little extra lift when he tried to get this guy up, but he fell backwards and had the life vest in his hand, right? (laughs) Guy slipped right through it. So now this dude is, is flying down the river, still hitting every rock, but he's got no life vest on, right? There's a reason they call it that. So the water's calm. He quickly makes the, the raft uh, back over to the guy, and this time he said, man, I'm just grabbing anything. So he grabbed bathing suit, and he, he yanked back, and bathing suit's gone. <laughs> now he said the bathing suit was no longer in his hands either. He had no idea where the bathing suit was, but it slipped right off the guy. And Tristan said, and he actually sounded angry when he told us this, he's like, and the dude wore no underwear. Now, why is a man wearing no underwear with his bathing suit? So now the dude just has his helmet on. That's it, just a helmet. And he's still going down the river, hitting all these rocks. Makes the raft back over, and this time Tristan just said, look, I panicked. I reached both hands in the water. I grabbed whatever I could. And he says, I just kept grabbing and kept grabbing. The guy got on the raft, right? He happened to fall. There was a young, uh, or was a mother there, a small mother with a teenage son. He fell right on top of her, right? So everybody lost, okay? So the story doesn't end there. The guy's in the boat now, but, you know, like I said, it's the beginning of the, the trip. You still got at least an hour of, of, of rafting, and it, it's, you've got a raft, right? You can't go hide in the corner under a blanket, right, hiding your nakedness and your situation. You've got a raft. And if you know the proper way to raft, it's kind of like this. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. You got to wrap like that. You can tuck one leg in, tuck another leg in the back. So this guy's situation was, um, was, was there for all to see, and this is not good, right? Luckily, just further down the river, uh, around one of these corners, another guy actually had the man's bathing suit. He was whipping it around above his head. Thought it was funny. It is funny. Um, but just so happened that that guide, and I, you can't make this stuff up, uh, his raft was full of 13-year-old Girl Scouts. So they had to go boat to boat so they can make the transaction. And just, like, like I said, everyone lost that day. Um, and I think Tristan's right. That's the worst raft trip I, I hope he ever has. Um, but what I share that story with you, uh, because it's funny, yeah, that's hilarious, right? But I shared it with you because when a raft is full of people that are not in unity, when it's out of balance, then things can go sideways quickly. Uh, one of the very first things our guide taught us, we got in the boat before we even got in the water, is he said we got to, to row in almost, we got to strive for rowing in perfect unison, right? We had to listen to his voice for instructions, had to do it right away, and we had to go together. We even practiced before going in. And he promised, he said, if we did what he said, when he said to do it, 
And we did it together in unison. He promised that we'd make it safe. And he was right. But isn't that how it is in life, right? You know, if we're all working together for the same purpose and we're listening to one voice, then you'll go where you need to go, even when there's rough waters and dangerous places, right? Is that how it is? Isn't that how it is in your home, in your family, at the office, on a sports team or in a band, right? Do you agree with this? Do you live your life this way to where you're looking for unity? I'm sure everybody here has a story when things went wrong because somebody wanted to go their own way, right? They wanted to, to row at their own speed or in their own timing. But it doesn't work. That doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. To move anything forward with efficiency, with relative safety, and with an end goal in mind, there must be unity. So how are we doing with unity in our country right now? It's July 4th. It's a time when our country should be celebrating, right? But are we a unified country? Let me scale back and ask, how are we doing with the unity in the American church right now? Let me scale back even further and ask you, how unified are we in this church? How unified are we in our families and in our own hearts? How are we doing with unity? Because God calls us to be unified. We are called to be in in internal unity, right, with ourselves and the Holy Spirit. But we are also called to be in unity with other followers of Jesus, and we have to run towards this calling. And as I often say when I preach, why do I believe that? Well, because it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Old and New Testament. Unity is talked about all over the Bible, and I believe in the Bible, and we're going to look at that today, and we're going to focus on uh, Colossians. So if you have your... Uh, if you have your Bible or if you want to just follow the, uh, the verses behind me, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, but first I want to give you a little background on the who, what, when, when why, and how of uh, what's going on in Colossians at that time. So Colossae was a, uh, a city in uh, Phrygia, right, which is now part of Turkey. Uh, the church there was started by a, name, a man named Epaphras. Uh, he was a believer in Christ who served with the Apostle Paul, and at that time... Uh, the city of Colossae was uh, consisted mostly of Gentiles, right? Native Phrygians, and um, they were mixed in with Greeks, and they had a good number of Jews as well. And it's important to note this, this mix of people because some of the traditional elements and philosophies within these people groups, it started mixing and adding to the gospel, right? Elements like the worship of angels and the requirement of circumcision and festival participation and food restrictions and regulations, all that type of stuff. And in addition to these things, uh, false teachers started to arrive. There were these spiritual elitists that believed they had a transcendental knowledge, right? I mean, adding any human element to the gospel is never a good thing, but these spiritual elitists were taking it to a new level, and they were starting to separate God's people from the truth and starting... To, to kind of having them focus on their own uh, self-sufficiency. So obviously this is concerning, and Epaphras was uh, concerned about this. Uh, so he traveled to Rome to visit Paul in prison. And in response, Paul wrote to the Colossian church, not only to address these false teachings, but also to encourage and to urge the people to live in like proper and true, you know, Christian, in, a, in a proper and true Christian way. So we're going to pick up this letter in the third chapter where uh, Paul starts to focus more on that exhortation. And most notably, he calls for there to be unity within the believer 
and with other believers. So let's look at Colossians 3, starting with verse 1 there. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's stop right there, because what do these four verses mean? At, at first glance, they kind of they seem obvious, but there's some, there's some uh, words in there that I had a little trouble with, that I had to do a little extra uh, research on. And, you know, always, you know, never forget that even though Paul is addressing the Colossians, he's also addressing us 2,000 years later. Don't ever forget that. Uh, so let's try to understand these verses. Let's, let's take a look at kind of four key elements that, that I had trouble with at least. Uh, first is, is being raised with Christ. What does that mean? The second is seeking things that are above. The third is setting our mind to those things. And lastly, the why. And that is because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. Let's figure out what all this means. So let's, let's talk about what it means to have been raised with Christ. Does that mean that we shared bunk beds with him? Right? That we were on the same baseball team? No. Paul is, is bringing the believer back to the start of their salvation. Right? The verb for raised here actually means to be co-resurrected. So when we became believers, we unified our soul with Christ. We are a new creation. And at that moment, we are now alive with him. We throw away our old self, which we'll get into uh, in just a bit. But being raised with Christ now, certain behavior is now appropriate for us. And what behavior? That's the next thing. Seeking things that are above. See, Paul understood we're humans, right? We like to picture heaven up in the sky, right? Up beyond the clouds, up above, right? Earth is here, the now. Heaven is above. That's eternity. But there's a difference. Heavenly things are better, for lack of a better term. Uh, As Matthew Henry puts it, as heaven and earth are contrary to one another, both cannot be followed together. And affection to one will weaken and abate affection to the other. So things above are heavenly things. And Paul uses the word seek. He says to seek these things. And seek, the word seek, it highlights passion, right? It highlights desire. Not everything on earth is bad or evil, right? But some is. However, nothing in heaven is bad or evil, right? So that's, that's the things that we're supposed to be seeking there. And it says to set your minds to those heavenly things. Um, in my boat, I have a GPS system, right? We have uh, marked spots, you know, good fishing spots, good diving spots, places where we caught a bunch of scallops, right? I have those in my GPS system. And it also, you know, it'll tell you how to get there. There's a uh, feature called um, cookie crumbs, and it'll show you the exact route that you took last time to get to these spaces. So uh, so it, we know the safe route, right? The route that's uh, away from the rocks and the shoals and the, the things that get boaters in trouble. So setting your mind to these heavy, uh, heavenly things is like your internal waypoint. Those spots that we mark, they're called waypoints. So it's like setting your internal waypoint. You know, our boat doesn't move until we know where we're going and how we're going to safely get there. But do I get distracted sometimes when I'm boating? Of course I do, right? I go off course all the time, and sometimes it does get me in trouble. There's a couple of shoals I've run up on, right? But when that happens, I quickly stop and I redirect my focus to the waypoint and the quickest and safest way to that point. And it's no different in life. When you wake up in the morning, 
you set your internal waypoint to the things above, to the heavenly things, right? To Christ. I pray every morning on my 45-minute uh, drive into work because it gets my mind right. It gets my heart right. Actively think about the heavenly realm, and that is studying your Bible, praying throughout the day. Look to do good in this world and set your mind on those things. This is how you can, in a sense, sow your soul tighter and in unity and tighten your unity with Christ. And lastly, why should we do this? Because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? See, when our souls are unified with Christ, our penalty for our sins, our past sins, present sins, and our future sins, that penalty has been paid. That old self that carries the debt of our sins has died. It is no more. So stop trying to put on that old, nasty skin. It's rotten. It stinks. Just leave it. When you clean a a fish or when you prepare a chicken and you remove the skin from a raw chicken and you throw it away, what happens if you forget to take the garbage out after a couple days? It stinks, right? Bad. You don't bring that garbage can and put it in the middle of your living room, do you? No, nobody would do that. You put that junk out by the curb, don't you? It's exactly what you should do with your old self. Put that junk out by the curb. Quit stinking up your soul by going back to the same sin that's always been in your life. And what does it mean to be hidden with Christ? Well, it means that believers have a common spiritual bond with Jesus. A bond that the unbelieving world just cannot understand. And one that protects our soul. Now, notice how I didn't say protects your body. Right? Our body is of earth. Our body is, is, is dying, right? It doesn't protect your body. It protects your soul. It's the spiritual unity that we have in, with Christ that protects our soul from our enemies. Let's go to verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This is fairly straightforward, right? These are the things that are tied to our earthly nature. Again, these are very different than things that are above, right? How many of us, uh, uh, how many of us still suffer from some of these things? Remember, these sins, they keep us at a vast distance from God, right? So do your best every day to put these things to death. Kick sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Kick them to the curb. Take them to the curb. Take them out of your house. Verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We forget about God's wrath sometimes, don't we? You know, many churches and many Christians, they want to only talk about God's love. They only want to preach about God's love. And God is love, right? But you hear it all the time, right? God's love. God's fluffy. God has a, a beautiful white gown and a rainbow scarf. And he has sunshine for hair, Right? God is love, yes, but don't forget that he hates sin. He loathes it. I, for one, in no way ever want to feel God's wrath. Don't forget it exists. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. See, put them away is a, is a Greek term for actually taking clothes off, right? If you've ever done yard work all day, and you're stinky, and you're dirty, and you try to walk in your house, 
What does your mom or your wife say? Like, whoa, stop right there. Everything off. Let's go. Everything off. In the shower. You're nasty. Don't bring that in my house, right? Well, stop worrying your anger. Stop thinking about and dwelling on who wronged you. Stop gossiping, gossiping about others. Put these things away. Take those clothes off. I also want to point out that this is part of, this is the, part of the letter that Paul starts to uh, shift from our inner unity uh, with Christ towards our unity with other believers and, and how we think about and treat others. So, so follow me here. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put, on, put off the old self with its practices and have, and, have, excuse me, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And I love this part. See, when I preach sometimes in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti, every once in a while I'll, I'll stop and I'll just ask everybody there. I said, you know, right now, do you think God's looking down? And Do you think he sees a white dude talking to a bunch of black people? Is that what you think he sees? Does God see skin color? Does God see state lines or continental lines? No. He sees his sons and daughters. When I preach in that beautiful island of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, I am loving on my brothers and my sisters in Christ, and they are loving on me. There's no black and white. There's no American, Haitian, or Dominican. There's just Christ in all of us. David Guzit says it this way, The new man is a part of a family which favors no race, nationality, class, culture, or ethnicity. It only favors Jesus because in this new family, Christ is all and in all. I love that. Also like when Paul says, Our new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If you're a new Christian, or as a reminder for somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, uh, you grow every day. You mature spiritually every day if you set your internal waypoint to the things that matter, right? As John MacArthur puts it, just like a baby is born complete but immature, the new self is complete but has the capacity to grow. If you set your mind on things above, you walk with Christ on your mind, you study the Bible, you go out of your way to think about and treat people right, then you will grow spiritually every day. Verse 12, put on then as, God chose, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here Paul lists the clothes that we should reach for, right? It's important to know what dirty clothes to take off, yeah. But it's equally important to know what specific virtues we all should strive for on a day-to-day basis. This is our waypoint. Now, I used to tell my kids all the time when they would get in trouble. Let's say my son was playing, something, uh, playing with something roughly, but it's important to me, right? And he breaks it. Now, I get mad at him. And he says, Dad, I didn't mean to do it, right? I say, yeah, but at the same time, you didn't go out of your way to take care of it, did you? That's important, Some of us don't mean to treat others badly, right? Chances are when you wrong a person, you didn't get up that morning saying you wanted to mess up that person's life. You didn't have the intention of hurting that person. But also chances are that you didn't leave the house that morning with the sole intention 
to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. See that? See why that's important? It's our waypoint. It's our waypoint. And if our waypoint isn't purposely set for things above, then we've opened the door for Satan to set it for us. Understand that. Now I want to clear up what the word meek means or meekness. It sounds like weak or weakness, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like we're supposed to be some scrawny, frail, scared victim? It's not what meekness is. If you've been attending this church for more than 10 years or so, then you might remember uh, a message from, the, from one of our previous pastors, Pastor Bill, uh, a message that he taught about meekness. He showed us a clip of Atticus Finch from the old black and white film To Kill a Mockingbird. It was the part of the movie when the, one of the characters, his name is Bob, Bob Yule, uh, he wants to start a fight with Atticus, so he gets in his face and he spits right in his face. How does, Atticus, how, how does Atticus react? He just stares at Bob with a stern but understanding face. Takes a deep breath, reaches into his pocket for the handkerchief, wipes the spit off his face, puts the handkerchief back, and walks around Bob to his car. That is meekness. It's the willingness to suffer insult or injury rather than to respond with the same violent words or actions. This is one of the virtues Paul says to put on. Verse 14, And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And here is the direct call for us to live in unity. Paul says that we need to live in perfect harmony in one body. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, I ask you, are you unified with Christ? In your heart? Are you unified with those around you? Are you unified within your family, within your community, or within this church? I've been going to this church now for almost 16 years. Actually, this month, it's 16 years, right? It's my family. It's not perfect, not by any means. I still get frustrated with a lot of people in here. I'm a fiery guy. I know I'm a funny guy, but I'm a fiery guy. I get frustrated with a lot of people. Get frustrated with staff sometimes? Sure. Just like any family does, right? But what do good families do? You go talk to that person. You tell them how you're feeling. You ask for forgiveness when you say too much, right? Then you forgive. You forget. You grow. We've got to let trials and tribulations strengthen and unify us. We don't let them break us apart. You know, having been here for 16 years, I've seen this church get broken apart on a couple of occasions. And every time, if not every single time, it's been selfishness that breaks the unity. You know, an opportunity to strengthen the body of Christ gets pushed aside for an agenda that shows no evidence of Christ behind it. It's sad. It hurts. It leaves scars. But what do scars prove. They prove that we were hurt once, but we've overcome that hurt, right? Scars are evidence that something has been brought back together, right? That something has been healed, that it has been reunified. It's important. 
So why is unity so important for us to protect? It's because it's an easy and very vulnerable point of attack. It's easy for Satan to cause disunity, to stir the pot and to get us going against each other. When I first started going on mission trips, uh, Pastor Steve used to always really heavily focus on unity. Right? You always have to pray weeks before we even left. You had to really explain to each group how important that unity is. I probably led, I don't know, 20 or 30 mission trips uh, throughout the years. And, and, and since Steve has always kind of underlined unity, it's hardly ever been an issue for us on these trips. You know, almost every single trip I've been on has been wonderful, lasting memories that I have with all the, the uh, missionaries. Brian and I were just talking about one. Uh, before a service started. I don't know where Brian's at, but he's somewhere here. Anyway, through so many mission trips, I've, uh, I've learned uh, about unity, and I've tried to teach it to every group. And, and I've always said the same thing. I said, God's hands are in that flat tire, right? God's hands are in those broken plans, those interrupted plans. And I think my belief is because we were so prayed up, it seems that we were always ready for adversity. It seemed that we were always, we would always unify around every time something went wrong, right? Whether it was rocks being thrown at us in Haiti or severe sickness brought on because one of our guys bought cookies from a naked kid. Or there's the, as the time our, our bus was almost overtaken by an impatient village that wanted the soccer balls and baby dolls that we stupidly thought that we could hand out one by one out the window. Or the time past solution hit a parked car in one of the most dangerous cities in all the world, Cité Soleil in Haiti. He hit a parked car, and we had to walk through this crowd. It was really angry at us, and I'm glad I don't know, um, I don't know Creole because I, I'm sure there were cuss words and mean things said. But after we make it through this angry crowd, he goes, uh, I don't think I locked the bus. Pastor Josh, go check the bus. <laughs> Not every trip was perfect. But we were unified. But also, not every trip was marked by unification. There's been those downer trips too, right? Where personal and selfish feelings won out. Where some members turned to gossip when we got back, above telling others the amazing things that God was doing, right? Where the food was gross. The sleeping arrangements were less than ideal. Hint, they're always less than ideal when you go on a mission trip, okay? It's always too hot, right? You know, those trips where little cliques form and people get, get feelings, you know, hurt feelings. We are humans after all, right? And we forget which clothes to put on on a day-to-day basis. That's why Paul reminds us to leave anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Leave that behind and put on and prepare to wear compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What would your life look like? What would, it, what would it feel like inside? And what would you look like to others if you reached for things above and threw away the earthly ugliness on a day-to-day basis? What would your family look like if selfish, selfishness and greed was left outside and purposeful kindness and compassion ruled? What, what amazing things our American churches could do in this world if we were just unified? I'm not blind, okay? I'm a positive guy, but I know our, our country is, is split, right? And it's, that, that chasm is growing and growing each day. But I'm one that believes it can come back to be that beacon of hope it once was. 
we just got to stop sitting around pointing fingers at all the things that we disagree with, right? Let's each of, each of us strive to unify ourselves daily with Christ and set our minds on what being a true Christian means. Let's choose to come together, arm in arm, and show the world what it looks like to be a Christian. Let's put aside ourselves and turn our attention to others. Let's break bread with the jaded and the frowned upon groups. Because guess who else did that? Jesus did that. Let's love on the least while not hiding from or being ashamed of the truth. Of what the Bible says. We don't have to hide from that. Let Christ show out in us. That's how our lives can have purpose. That's how we get our families back. That's how we get our country back. Let's light up the world, church family. Let's do it in truth and love and in unity. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is, uh, I know this is so important, God. I just, I love it when, when things are, when you have groups of people that are in unity, God, it's just so beautiful. And when you're unified in a direction that you put us Ah, oh, we can move so fast and do, many, do so many great things in your name, God. It's so easy, so easy for us to fall back into those sinful ways and to bring selfishness back in and greed and hurt feelings and, uh, and unforgiveness. God, you're, you tell us, leave it all at the door. Actually, don't even leave it at the door. Take it to the curb. It's garbage. God, I pray, I know that we can do that. I know that we can do that. I know there's some here, God, that aren't Christians that are coming to church because a friend asked them to, or I don't know, God, there's a thousand reasons why somebody, an unbeliever could be in church today, God. And I, I pray that we show this person or these people, God, that, that your love is a light. Lord, I pray that we are a light to those, to the unbelievers of this world. I pray that we can come together in unity and do great things because you want your church to do great things. That is what... That is our purpose, God. So I pray that we can do that. And I pray that we, we look in, uh, internally, God, to be, in unifi- uh, uh, to be unified with Christ, to be unified with you. But I, I, God, I also pray that we strive, that we have a purpose to go out in the world and be unified with believers and to love on others. I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 